0: Hello and welcome. My guest today is Nick Nanakos. Nick is the creator of Ziki, which has quickly become one of my favorite restaurants to go to and to order from. And that's because it's a seed oil-free restaurant that is so, so tasty and good for you. So in this conversation, we spoke about Things that Nick has never spoke about before, like his diagnosis with cancer, where his ambition comes from, what role music plays in his life, and this to me was a beautiful look into the mind of somebody who is trying to do something extraordinary. His mission is to be the Tesla of food. This man has a trillion dollar vision. That's right, trillion with a T. So I've never seen somebody quite call a shot like that and we'll see. If the shot falls, but episode 365, Nick Nanakos, what you will get from this is a tremendous sense of energy and enthusiasm for life, or at least that's what I got from this conversation. And if you do enjoy it, share this episode with somebody you think will enjoy it as well, whether that is through Instagram, Twitter, text message, group chat, it all goes a long way in helping the show grow. And now, without further ado, here is Nick Nanakos. Nick, thank you for joining me today. I'm incredibly honored because I love your food. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's rare that I eat someone's food and love it so much to the point that I see it on my friend's podcast. Shout out Meat Mafia. They had you on. They... I'm their most recent guest and I'm going back and I'm seeing you and I'm like, what, the founder of Ziki was on their show? Let me check that out. I hear you guys talk. I hear the conversation you have. and I'm like, this all checks out. This is in line with my experience of the food that I eat six times a week. So Six times a week. That's incredible. Yeah, man. Yeah, Harry and
1: Brett, they're amazing and they also eat at Ziki a lot. So that's good. Best compliment I can hear is regarding the food for sure it's the product at the end of the day it's like ziki does so many things and we'll get into that but it's like a business of extreme complex coordination there's a million things happening on the back end that nobody sees or has a clue about but on the front end the simplest product is the food similar to tesla right if you draw the parallel to tesla and ziki it's like what does tesla do at the simplest level they sell cars but on the back end wildly complex a gigafactory fully autonomous electrical right ton of technology ziki too factory, full vertical integration, logistics, commissary, automation. And then
0: on the front end though, it's just, we sell food. Mm. Simplicity wins. Yeah. And it does seem like such a seamless, easy process. I want to start with playing football. Sure. Senior year of high school or rather sophomore year of high school, you told your coach you'd win a championship for him. Why I think that's a good place to frame the conversation because of your immense confidence that we will dive into, but it just shows how that leadership and confidence has been in you for so long.
1: Absolutely. I oftentimes make two parallels to business and the first one is sports and the second one is war. Um, we have our team meeting every Wednesday where the entire HQ gets together and they're really profound, very spiritual uh, we outline all of our objectives, but we talk about also everything on a spiritual level as well. Because our first value in the company, the number one value is that we have faith. Um, and I think we can't just simply run a company on going through the day-to-day of objectives that we have to complete. It's, there must be a spiritual component because it's the most powerful realm, right? So we talk about God often. But if we talk about sports, and we talk about war, we talk about business, how is business different from war? You have... Competitors, people trying to take you out. You have an army, right? In both war and in business. You have resources, right? Uh, and you have to expand into new geographies. So they're very, very parallel. I think all, also, too, in the leadership component, this ties very much back to my DNA and my roots, which I'm totally aligned with, right? So, like, on my wrist, I have the Spartan helmet. Why? It's because my last name is Nanakos. And any Last name, Greek name, that ends in Akos originates from Laconia, which is the capital of Sparta. So my father's side is Spartan. We also have Macedonian roots, which is the birthplace of Alexander the Great, who scaled the world's largest empire by age 32. And I'm scaling the world's largest food empire. So sports is similar. You have an army. You have a team around you. I was the captain. I took us to the championship. And what you highlighted was that I gave my word, right?, And I do that all the time now as well. And that's a conviction thing and a confidence thing and a faith thing because when it comes to like truly believing in something, it's my favorite quote is that absence of evidence does not mean evidence of absence. So it's like you can say things and take the risks and be bold without them actually being visually there. Uh, And it was the same thing with football. So I love to lead. Uh, It's been that way since the day I was born, honestly. Uh, and I think everything that I do is pure decisiveness, instinctive uh, decisions, and uh, intuition when it comes to hiring, firing, making, you know, calculated moves around the business as well.
0: Tell the story of what happened your sophomore year.
1: So <clears throat> I was playing football, um, varsity as a sophomore. Um, my brother was two years older than me, he was the captain. He basically. Uh, went to the championship. They were undefeated, and they lost against a team called O'Neill. So I remember all of them were, you know, bawling their eyes out as we were getting back onto the bus from leaving the, that game. Uh, and my coach was standing in the doorway as every every player funneled onto the bus. And I stopped before I got on and said, "Coach, before I leave, I'm going to win you a championship." And he may or may not have believed me. He was kind of like, "Yo, oh, okay, Nick. Like, thank you. I, that means a lot." Like, may or may not have, right? But I believed it and I knew it was going to happen. So my brother graduates. um, Then I become a junior, become the captain of the team. I have, I'm the only, you know, everybody else is a freshman and a sophomore. So I'm building out a very, and working with a very young team. Um, We go to the playoffs. We lose in the playoffs that year. Senior year, I'm like, this is it. It's do or die. So, you know, I end up going insanely hard in the off season. I uh, had like, yeah you know, like 116% attendance because I started doing morning workouts before the first bell of school. And then we had practice afterwards and it was just nonstop, endless level of, you know, just grinding out and, and really hustling with the team. So I'm, I'm a senior at this point. We end up being undefeated as well. And then we go to the championship against the same team that my brother lost in the championship two years prior double over time and we win. So, um, it was very full circle and just like, you know, a big Testament. So that was my championship back then. I never put more focus and concentration, uh, into a thing in my life and we won. Now the championship is what I'm doing today. So
0: when you think back at the form of experiences that taught you discipline or sticking to your word or ability to manifest a vision, you have that as an example. What else comes to mind from your childhood?
1: I think my childhood is really just comprised of many experiences that I've seen. I'm huge on family, right? Like I, That's another one of our values is that we're a family, very family oriented person. Plus my family, like immigrant father came from Greece. We did not have money at all. Um, I used to say I don't come from anything and I hate saying that and I think it's it's uh, kind of disrespectful because I come from a lot. I come from a family of extremely high integrity, extreme sacrifice, extremely hard work, but we did not have uh, by any means, you know, a ton of money at all. It was, uh, every memory I had was just pretty much us struggling financially. Um, my parents did everything they could to put us through private school, every sacrifice they had to make. It was just unbelievable. My father was driving to Manhattan. Three hours stuck in traffic there and three hours stuck in traffic on the way back every single day for his job because we were living further upstate New York. My mother was an entrepreneur and also a stay-at-home mother. And, you know, so traditional Greek family, like my mother was taking care of the home and the children, but also opened up multiple restaurants as well in New York. So I've seen both sides of the spectrum when it comes to the mother role. Um it's just sacrifice is in my blood and, and I think it's a critical component to when you're you're going on any endeavor. Sacrifice is so critical and so is suffering. Suffering is good, right? Like what's the point of us going through this if there is no suffering at all? If we were if there was to be no suffering and all these painful experiences that we have to go through, then we would already be in heaven. There'd be no point. We have to suffer, right? So, um, yeah. I think all of it's just a culmination of my experiences from my family. And uh, it, it developed a chip on my shoulder from a young age. I always felt that everything I was doing was to take care of my family because of how much, how much empathy I had for them. And same with my siblings. They feel the same way. All of myself and my siblings are very driven. We have a lion in us. Um, and, yeah, it's that chip in the shoulder to prove but to take care of people um, and, yeah, just make it happen.
0: When you talk about sacrifice and suffering, why'd you cut your arm open?
1: So when I cut my arm open, if we're fast forwarding to the business now, <clears throat> I call that time period in my life war mode, which was the, again, I equate a lot of things to war, you know, and basically, do you mind if I take these off? Uh, take them off. Okay.
0: You're you're living in your own world. Okay,
1: cool. Yeah. So, you know, basically- so if we talk about like that war mode period it was the hardest moment in my life um financially and with the business and everything like that basically i had bootstrapped everything in the company forever it was like very small checks like you know couldn't self-fund it couldn't raise venture money it was taking forever i was building the company for seven years so um i went through this period where basically i got the team together and you know lit a candle and did I looked up like ancient war music meditations. I was playing this and I put a pie chart together and I was like, this is how much money we have. This is how much money we've raised ever. This is how much we've spent. This is what we have left. And it was a pie chart and the sliver was super, uh, small. And I basically said, look, um, there's no way that anybody's going to be able to get paid for the foreseeable future. And if you're with me, amazing, come along. And if you're not, then I understand because there are casualties of war, um, and so, basically, I entered this insane period where I was like, everything that I've built for, you know, seven years at the time, is, is uh, I'm faced with its fate. Like, wait, this is the moment where it can all go away. Um, and so, I had to enter that frame of mind, and basically what I did was took out my pocket knife and sliced my arm open, and I printed out this big thing that in all caps says, you are at war, And I hung it up in my bedroom and I smeared the blood, you know, from my arm all over that poster. And it was every single morning I would like look at that poster and hit that poster and before bed. And it was just so symbolic to me of like, you're literally at war. You're fighting for your life. You're fighting for your family's life, for your parents, for your well-being, for your destiny. You dropped out of school. You have no backup plan. There is no plan B. There can't be a plan B. So you're all in. It's burn the ships. That's one of my favorite expressions, right? Like burn, burn the fucking ships. You're you're all in or you're all out so i like putting everything on the line um and why because there's because how can you not it's like how can for me i love risk i love risk i like big vision i like i like conquering i want to go to the next stage i want to go to a new city and expand further and build a team and have a better army and better generals and more resources why is it a selfish thing people can say well um well, that's unselfish. You're just on a hunger quest. For blah, blah, blah. Are you power hungry? No, I, I was it's first of all, it's in my DNA. Like I have Spartan roots. I have Macedonian roots. This is in my DNA. I'm programmed that way. It is how it is. But also, I'm a very humble man of Christ. I am. So I'm a man of God. Everything is driven by him. Right. So I follow the rules according to the Bible and what my beliefs are. And I do everything righteously or as best as I can, because we're all sinners and I'm not perfect but I'd be lying if I said that I didn't love to go and expand into new territories and to build and to, and, and I say conquer and and it's just because we're talking in war terminology and um, everything in my life has been difficult. Generally speaking, it's been difficult. You know, we had very serious financial struggles. My parents didn't get to work. Uh, my parents didn't get to be there for holidays because they were working in the restaurants. The restaurants are extremely demanding businesses. You know, you don't work on holiday. I mean, I'm sorry, you work on all holidays pretty much. So, you know, it's like constantly hear my, my parents' conversations about how things are tight and everything. And my parents are the greatest people in the world, but things were tough. I wouldn't have it any other way. Any other way. So, you know, like, um, for me, there's never been a plan B. For me, it's, it's do or die in every single thing that I do, 100%. And I think that that's critical, especially when you have a team behind you, because they have to feel that, because you can't fake authenticity. It has to be pouring out of you. And they rally around that. And that gives them the energy, right, to keep moving forward because this is the hardest endeavor in the world to run a company. And I'm not talking about, you know, where everybody thinks that they're an entrepreneur and I'm a founder and blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about a real company, a real venture backed company, you know, with an enormous $1 trillion vision, multi decade global scale. It's hard. It takes endurance and it takes many years. And you need resilience and you need that endurance you need the stamina from your team to go along with you for that ride so um it's very hard aside from the military where your life's literally on the line this is the hardest job in the world um and your life is on the line in this too and mine has literally been on the line
0: why do you have such a big ambition
1: it's just who i am it's just who i am i i can't change it i can't you know i can't imagine it any other way
0: when did you realize
1: uh honestly probably as young as i can remember you know i was uh, my life growing up was basically so you know grandfather came from greece started with a hot dog stand in manhattan he kicked off the whole restaurant and my grandfather's like came from the poorest village in greece like he you know you see pictures of him where it's like um rubber from like tires tied it with with like string and that was their shoes and if you see their their village and the homes that they were living in it looked like a bomb dropped on it no joke like really really serious poverty um and my grandfather came over he kicked off the whole restaurant thing my mother then eventually uh, opened up several greek restaurants in new york called tzatziki Growing up, I was always in either our family diners, restaurants, steakhouses, cafes. I was always in the restaurant industry, always in, in the kitchen. Um, I also, at like, I don't know, I was eight years old, nine years old, or seven, I don't even, so young, I would go out and just count all the cars in the parking lot and then come back in and be like, hey, there's X amount of cars and equate it to how busy we were and if the business was performing well. And they always tell me that story. Um But I also remember just like being in the back seat, no joke, probably like eight or nine years old and like kicking my feet up on the window and just like looking while my parents were driving and looking outside on like mountains because we lived in upstate New York and the sun hitting in and just like thinking at that point in time in my life that I was going to be doing something incredibly significant. I just knew it. It was, it was, I I just knew it.
0: Fascinating. But the destiny aspect of it is something that is, is you see time and time again where some people feel like they have a calling or a destiny or a, a something placed on them that they can't even help and that is their mission and their purpose. I know that a huge part of your skill set seems like to be one, rallying around a group of people and explaining to them or fueling them with your passion that you can so clearly tell as soon as you took off the headphones. And then the second part is like, explain that to investors who wanted to do want to invest in the company themselves right so when did you realize how when you had this gift of rallying the troops and then secondly how can somebody who's pretty good at that become excellent
1: it's a great question i'm thinking particularly about the second half of that question Mm -hmm. um but uh on the first point you know i think that one thing in my household growing up was that my family's a loud, Greek, intense family from New York. My siblings and I were always at each other's throats, joking around, quick comeback. Somebody roasts you, you have to come back quick, right? Always alert. So I think that from a young age, we had like the gift of gab and being able to quickly respond and think through problems, right? And quickly create solutions and be just very sharp, very street smart, um, interestingly, uh, in- interestingly enough, we grew up more upstate, but we're like this weird, hard to figure out, hard to categorize in a box type of family where like we have this very New York upbeat energy, but we also have that like peaceful kind of farmland roots and connection with that side of things. Uh, I think we always have to be alert in our household. Like, my dad's a very intense figure. He's wildly passionate. Like, I'm shocked super my dad's more emotional than my mother my, i've seen my father cry more times than i've seen my mother cry my, my father wears his heart on his sleeve serious serious level of intensity very alpha but also very openly emotionally he's not one of those guys that tries to conceal what if he feels you're gonna what you see is what you're gonna get and what he feels is what he's gonna feel um and my mother's a, a extremely just like you know wise and calm and also very humorous and she can like always she's always making jokes and people can laugh and she also has this amazing ability to greet people and make people feel comfortable and for people to trust her people that like barely know my mom will tell her you know life story so i think like the alertness and the upbeat energy and was was how i grew up and was just conditioned from a young age naturally like program basically i don't like that word so much because I'm, I'm i'm not program i hate programming in general like i don't want anybody to program me not the news not the media like i hate programming period but if you're talking about in the context of that, that's how it was um, from a young age. As far as somebody that's like asking, well, how do I become? I'm good at it, but how do I become better at it? You know, look, I people say are 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 people born leaders? Honestly, my answer is yes. My answer is yes. You know, um, you can. OK, look, I dropped out of college, right? The professor's going to tell you how to start and run a successful business, but has never done it. Uh same with any any field basically. So I think people can learn how to be great leaders. They can learn everything about what it takes to be a great leader, but are they? do they truly have instinctively that aura of what it takes to really be a one-of-a-kind leader that can take a company multi-decade or company or sports team or whatever it is? Not everybody's Michael Jordan, right? So um, yeah, I think that the best way that if somebody did want to achieve that and by the way i don't say this as a discouraging thing right but actually it should be a motivating thing because part of believing and part of being a great leader is 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 telling yourself inside i am i am a great leader you have to believe that so, that 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 so i'm challenging you that like maybe you are a fantastic leader maybe you were born that way but maybe you don't realize you were yet so fucking believe it and be a great leader right um but the best way to do it is by decisiveness, decisive action. You have to be fast. You you exercise that muscle. It's just violent iteration, like we were I was talking about in the meat mafia. It's violent iteration again and again. Decisiveness is a superpower. You can't spend time, um, you know, waiting on everybody else to move. That kind of even like when it comes to the, the venture market right now, it's just like yeah, it's none of them are being decisive, and they're all fear driven right now in all of venture in Silicon Valley. All the big VCs, they're talking about all the issues that are going around in the world and, oh, there's a crisis and there's a war here and the economy's bad here and everything. And you know what? The reality is that uh, crisis is cyclical. It's going to come and it's going to go. There are going to be good times. There are going to be bad times. But there is always opportunity in crisis. So, you know, it's a it's a sheep-like herd mentality that these investors currently have today that I will never understand. You could show me all the data in the world that points to why it's a bad economy, how are you going to live your life and run your business and make all your decisions around fear because of what can possibly happen or what other people are saying? It's like, again, all of the opportunity is found in crisis. When companies were, before the SBB crash, all these companies were laying thousands of employees, hundreds of employees. And I said to my team, this is the best opportunity ever. You want to get rid of that talent? We'll take that talent. We'll hire those people. By the way... When it comes to the investor climate right now, and in, in the venture world, this is the best time to invest. If you're an investor, this is where you accumulate all your wealth and you make a fortune and you establish your your your, your dynasty, your legacy as as an incredible visionary investor or fund. Because deal flow is way less competitive than ever, right? So typically, when the market's booming, all the best venture uh, capitalists are looking at the same deals. It's way more competitive, and when it becomes more competitive, it becomes more expensive because the price drives up. Because they have to compete with each other and then the founder gets everything that they want. It's less competitive. So if you're a bold, visionary investor, this is the time that you seize the moment and you invest. And you should be deploying tons of capital into companies right now. Not trying to kill the founders, but everything's on sale, right? The the stock market is the only place in the world where people don't want to buy things when they're on sale. Why? Because the market's controlled, by fear. People hear one thing, tanks. Positivity, Boom. The smart ones go against the grain. They're contrarian. And and in the investor climate today, all investors need to be bold and visionary because this is the greatest time for you to accumulate wealth and fortune. And there's no competition from other VCs. So you should seize this moment right now and completely eviscerate the fear-driven mindset.
0: How do you explain that to somebody who you're sitting across from? In what sense? It's very, it's easy to say that on a podcast. It's hard when you're sitting in front of uh, an actual VC. I tell them the same thing. Oh, okay. I tell them the same thing. How do
1: how do they react to that? Um, it depends. It <laughs> depends because it depends on who you're talking with, right? So um, I think like we talked about being born leaders, born entrepreneurs and everything like that. Why is Elon so renowned as a founder? Because there's not a lot of people like him, right? So once every decade or every two decades, these iconic legendary founders come along, Elon being one of them, me being one of them you being one of them, these incredible figures come along, right? And they change the world and they do incredible things. They're born and destined to be the greatest entrepreneurs on the planet. Okay. Um, Well, the same rule applies with investors. So if you are an analyst at a fund because you went to MIT, Harvard, or Stanford, and you think you're going to be a visionary, bold investor, that's not necessarily the case. Sorry to tell you, you might've been top of your class at Harvard. Doesn't mean you were born with the visionary gift of being the best investor on the planet. Let's use Masayoshi, founder of SoftBank, for example. You know why he invested in Jack Ma, Alibaba? Because he saw a twinkle in his eye. That's a gift. That's a gift. How do you learn that? You can't. You can't. So if I'm speaking with somebody that's low conviction, analyst, whatever, and not to talk down in the analyst role because many analysts grow to be some of the best people on the planet, but if I'm speaking with a low conviction person that doesn't have that gift to sense that sparkle, that twinkle in a founder's eye... And to take the opportunity in the crisis, they're never going to get it. They're never going to get it, right? It's uh, it's just that like cognitive bias that people have. It's the same same thing. Like you could, you could let's say if we were talking politics. You could tell and show somebody all the evidence. They'll just still, it's confirmation bias, right? So no matter what you show them and no matter what you prove them, they're just never going to accept it. Same things for them. And you kind of have to write it off as like, they'll just never get it. But if you're talking to a visionary venture capitalist or investor, they're going to get it they're going to get it. So I would tell talk to them the same way I'm talking with you about this. And they would understand that what I'm saying is just the reality of the situation. And I, I don't think, I think time and time again, has proven this, the people that were bold in moments of crisis win.
0: When you started bucks, did you realize how much you would deal with venture capital capitalists and how much your life would be beholden in a sense to them in order to create this massive vision? So no. why not go about it, the bootstrap way of, of self So it
1: bootstrapped for several years, right? So, so basically the story was like, okay, you understand I was in the restaurant industry from like five years old. Uh, my father was uh, a painter, painting homes and construction and carpentry and doing all kind of uh, handiwork. So growing up, if I wasn't in the restaurant, I was on construction sites with my father. Went to school in Philadelphia, was studying finance and real estate loved land i loved numbers but i hated corporate i actually did my first job at jp morgan chase back in the day um i i worked there for six months was not for me to say the least it was a lot of corporate (laughs) button jamming and whatever i was 19 years old working at the largest bank in the world and um whatever, funny enough, uh, at the end of it, they said, give a presentation and share a fun fact, blah, 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 blah. and I was like, in front of all the MDs and executive directors, I was like, hey, it's like widely believed, and most people don't know about this, that J.P. Morgan himself sunk the Titanic because he wanted to open up a central bank, and his competitors were supposed to get on that uh, ship as well, and then 10 minutes before boarding, he decided not to go on, and then a few months later, after the Titanic sank, the bank opened up. But that's another story. It's not a true story. If you believe it to be, and many people do. So you know um where did we find you you're, you're a movie <laughs> you're like straight out of a movie so that's good I'm, I'm 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 writing and acting in my movie every day i feel the same way you know yeah. that's really what it feels like um but anyway that's when i went to college that's when i started my company which was called truck bucks at the time and eventually evolved into ziki which is like Boom. That was the aha click moment, epiphany moment that everything worked after years and years and years of working on the previous company. Right. So I start the company. Um, It's basically like I I notice when I, I get to my university, there's tons of food trucks all over campus, like dozens and dozens and dozens. I become obsessed with the unit economics behind them. I'm like, I, I literally create this obsession around their economics. These their mobile kitchens. I'm like, I seen my parents start restaurants. I know how expensive it is to start, how slow it moves, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I create software for these food trucks. I sign up, you know, every single food truck on campus. Then eventually sign up 150 food trucks door to door myself. I like my, you know, I'm, I'm I'm supposed to be in class, but I'm with a food truck owner onboarding them to the software. Then I, you know, the app also was for food. It was for customers to find food trucks and order for pickup and delivery. Um, and then basically the food truck owners had an app to receive the order and analytics. And I ended up doing really well with it. Drop out of school, moved to Austin, Texas. When I moved to Austin, Texas, I basically, um, I meet this food truck owner. He's running a 16-foot food truck. His name's Mo, Mediterranean Concept. He's doing over 100,000 in sales per month. Um Which is incredible. Right. And he's has a very sophisticated operation. He's leveraging a lot of technology. That's the epiphany moment. I'm like, wow. Okay. I'm not thinking big enough. I do not want to do the software play on food trucks. I want to create the most significant company to ever exist in food. And that entails being fully vertically integrated and having a factory-based model called Gigaziki, where we're going to manufacture these modular restaurants with unstoppable unit economics that have never been seen before. And we're going to become the fastest growing restaurant company on the planet. And the restaurant that we're going to scale faster than anybody and make a global brand is going to be Ziki. And Ziki is going to be a Greek and Mexican fusion food that uses no soy, no seed oils, no vegetable oils, uses the best local organic ingredients, grass-fed butters, grass-fed milks, grass-fed yogurts, animal-based ghee, and we're going to re-architect the toxic food system as well that is poisoning people because if you look at the past century on the rise of seed oils you watch the rise of disease follow right along with it and it's very significant and honestly i would personally attribute it to being the number one biggest cause of illness in the world unchallenged cancer diabetes uh, hormonal imbalance depression i don't see anything being more significant than that you have to eat multiple times per day Every single day you're ingesting oils that your body just simply cannot break down, that inflame you, that kill you over time, and they're cancerous. They put carcinogens in these oils. Canola oil, which originates from what is known as rape seed, uh, is also put in lawnmowers as fuel. Okay, that's the seed that it, that it's actually called. And um, yeah, so that's the aha moment, and, and that's what we're doing. So Ziki factory produces modular restaurants with unstoppable unit economics.
0: My favorite part of that was if you rewind this about five minutes, you'll hear how your voice changes when you go from talking about Truck Bucks to Zeke. It's like there is something that is like pulling you and driving you and creating more energy and charisma when you went from Truck Bucks to Zeke, And you said, I realized I wasn't thinking big enough in that moment. So take me back to that place.
1: Starting truckbooks was a critical part of the story because it was just years of specific knowledge gathering, understanding how to run a business. I started at 19 years old, um, 27 now. So, you know, I was doing years and years and years of just trying to figure things out, understand how investors work and think and understanding everything about business, right? First time founder. It was a grind. It was very, very tough, very challenging. I had no money basically it was a small check here a small check there um when Zeki clicked it basically it's it's pretty amazing I mean like there was a moment where I said like we're not doing the right thing and I just looked at the team and I said what if we did this and then um that's how Zeki almost in a way just popped into my mind when they was driving and I think that it came from two experiences on how Zeki actually came in, in into my mind because I had one of our team members we had an investor meeting and this is before Zeki, before I even had the name, the idea, anything, my favorite fashion store is Zara, right? Like $60 billion fashion empire. Incredible. Um, and my mother had Greek restaurants called Ziki So b- before I thought of the name Zeki and the whole idea came together, I took one of my team members to Zara because he needed a blazer for an investor meeting that we got. So subconsciously, I'm in Zara, four letters, Z, Ziki, Zara, right? So there's some kind of subconscious connection there. Um and then, basically, I go to Sweet Green, which I don't go to anymore, um, but I walk in and I see this guy staring at me, and I'm like, why is this guy staring at me? He keeps staring at me, like, like, and I'm like, and he goes, I know your mother, and I was like, I thought he was doing a joke, like a Yo Mama joke, and I was like, oh yeah, and he's like, no, no, really, I know your mother, she had Greek restaurants in New York called Tzatziki. And he apparently helped her, like, deliver packaging, and he recognized me because he said, you look exactly like her, and also because you're wearing a truck bug shirt, and your mother told me about your business. In Austin, Texas, this happened. What? Day later, boom, Ziki, and I think it was, I'm in Zara, I'm getting this blazer, this guy reminds me, hey, your mother had Greek restaurants in New York called Tziki. and it was just boom, and it was a beautiful clear concise moment imagine years and years and years you're trying to figure it out it's it's working but it's kind of not working and it's taking slow and it's heavy and it's intense and people don't and it clicks and you know it clicks and you know it's right And then we opened the first ziki location on uh february 1st of 2022 a little bit over a year ago everything bootstrapped prior to that all bootstrapped one location less than 10 employees across the entire company right basically no money I meet uh, GigaFund at a private ranch in Texas on April 2nd. They invest in July. They give us $5 million. They do our entire seed round, which how much respect and conviction do I have in, in GigaFund, right? Because they invested at a time when we had one location, less than 10 employees, less than 50K a month in revenue. GigaFund is Elon Musk's backers as well? Correct. They put over a billion dollars into SpaceX. Wow. Right? So so people were like blown away. Like how does elon musk's group put in over uh, uh, does the whole seed round for ziki you know like they do five million in a company that has one location because they understood the magnitude of the vision and so from closing that within seven months we went from one location to ten locations we opened ten restaurants in seven months Um, we went from less than 10 employees to over a hundred employees. We went from less, uh, less than 50 K a month in revenue to over 550 K a month in revenue. We acquired a kitchen robotics company, engineering team of 10 that made a robot that can make 300 rice bowls per hour. We opened up a a massive factory as well. And we're producing the modular restaurants from the factory and building custom robots from the factory ground up that are going to go in the modular units. And, um, Miami's next. So we fortress Austin in seven months and completely took over the city and we can do that everywhere at scale it just requires more resources aka capital but these are profit machines so we can launch them quickly they're turnkey we handle all the ops we not only build and manufacture every single part of the modular unit which you know they're super sophisticated a lot of technology but we also operate them and hire and train the chefs and build our own automation the real plan ziki is the full vertical integration that will yield metrics orders of magnitude better than anybody else in the world
0: you keep calling these modular restaurants mm-hmm. and food trucks is the equivalent for people who have never heard of the term. That's right. But you made a distinction for why it is a modular restaurant as opposed to a food truck. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why is that a significant so, difference?
1: Publicly, like uh, the customers typically equate it in their mind to a food truck and they say it all the time. Well, I love this giant pink food truck that's got the best food ever and they're not food trucks they don't have engines they don't drive around right they're like container shaped uh so modular um but i don't have a problem with them equating them in their mind to food trucks because again i like simplicity right so like the more compression and simplicity and things the better so if they can wrap their head around it and say these food trucks are great that's fine but they're not food trucks um you know they're 256 square feet 32 by 8 made completely of aluminum uh, aluminum is lighter than glass and infinitely recyclable. It's an incredible metal. It's very durable. It's very flexible. We can build 20 of these modular restaurants per month today. Imagine how many of them we could do in the future when we raise 100 million or 500 million or 5 billion, right? So we're going to be able to beat the fastest growing restaurant company on the planet by building like 100 plus units per month and outscale the number of locations that Sweet has, Chipotle, Cava, Starbucks, just a matter of time. Um, And basically it would cost anybody else to build a unit of similar size with similar level of technology embedded inside. It would cost them over 250,000, but we built those units for under 90,000 a piece final. That includes labor, all kitchen appliances and all technology. So the unit economics are insane in the business, right? Because so- so It costs over a million dollars to open a sweet green, is that- It, it costs 1.2 up 0.2. to 2.7 million. Wow. So this is now we're getting into unit economics in the business. And what, what's so unstoppable about Ziki? Well, first of all, we're the only restaurant company on the planet that manufactures our own restaurants and operates them. Nobody else does that. We're the only restaurant company that has this gigafactory model that can do that. Um, but if you dive into the economics behind it, like- Taking it back to the beginning of the conversation, Tesla, they sell cars. Zeki sells food. So how do you identify us? You could call us a restaurant, but in the back end, it's much more than that. And that's the Trojan horse part of the model, right? And I don't mind to say these things because this is not a business that you can get in a garage and try and start tomorrow. So if anybody thinks that they can go ahead and do it and wants to challenge it, then go ahead. But um, the the big thing here is like if Sweetgreen, Chipotle, or Cava open up a restaurant just to open up a single store, 1.2 million to 2.2 million seven million dollars just for the real estate to open it the payback period on the restaurant is 16 months up to 50 months okay extremely slow heavy expensive leases we can build 20 restaurants per month each one costs less than 90k and they do the same volume that all of those restaurants can do on auv average unit volume and our payback period is not 16 to 50 months it's less than six months so, um, yeah, on the unit economic level, it's just, um, and it's just getting more and more sophisticated, right? So like this kitchen robotics, uh, operation that, that uh, acquisition that we just finalized seven months in the works finally got done. Very, very significant moment because our master plan is to become the Tesla of food.
0: So break down for me exactly how this works. I want to start a restaurant and I pay you. How does that work? you're saying the payback period. Explain. No. Or, so yeah, explain. if
1: you if you basically have a startup cost of opening a restaurant, considered a brick and mortar, then how many months does it take you from the profits of the business to reap back the full investment? So if if it was $1 million, how many months until you see that million dollars and it's completely paid back the cost of setting it up? So these other restaurants might spend... million. And if it takes them 25 months to see the money back just for the building, that's a long, long profitability timeline. For us, the cost of the store is so low, but the revenue is so high and the profit margins are so good that we basically pay it back in less than six months. And while they have to staff 15 to 20 employees in a single location, we have to staff two to three because we don't have a dine-in sitting, sit-in experience. But the restaurant kitchen is the same size as the sweet green chipotle kava kitchen got you and there's robots now that are going to be inside all of them which is going to slash labor down even further and increase efficiency and obviously increase profit margins
0: makes sense and when you say become the tesla of food what does that mean exactly so basically if you think
1: about tesla they rethought what a car is from the ground up right regenerative braking fully autonomous one mothership dashboard tablet that controls the entire functionality of the car. It's just a screen. And that is the entire functionality of the car, uh, being the most creative in their category, having a gigafactory model globally, um, and led by a great founder in Zeki, It's similar. We're rethinking what it means to be a restaurant and we're redefining what it means to be a restaurant from every single angle. So we have rethought how the customers order, um, Basically, we've rethought how the chefs operate inside. We've rethought the unit economics behind what it means to be a restaurant because the current restaurant roadmap is just, it's been very archaic um, and hasn't progressed so much. So Ziki's flipping the whole thing upside down on its head and basically saying, well, we're going to have this factory production model and we're going to create the best restaurants and and would do it faster than anybody else has and with better economics than anybody else has and with better food, right? Because if Tesla's vision or their mission is to transition the world to sustainable energy, ours is to re-architect the toxic food system and create seed oil-free food that's accessible across the globe and re-architect that poisonous system. But you have to have that sophisticated technology component in order to do that at scale. And I'm talking about global scale. And we're building all that technology in our factory like Tesla is, right? They make cars from from their factory. We make modular restaurants from our factory. They sell the cars. We operate our restaurants. They have charging stations for those cars, right? We have a commissary. So when you think about the city of Austin, right, um, there's 10 now modular Ziki restaurants throughout all of Austin, well, where do they get their food from? How do they get the supply, right? You, you have to think about that. Well, we have a commercial kitchen that's 20 minutes away from all those locations. This is a central point of logistics. All of our food supply from the best farms go there, right? So like um, all the organic avocados and the grass-fed butters all goes there. and It's all prepped there by an entire kitchen team. And then that team, fills those up in cambro containers and loads them onto our refrigerated sprinter vans and then the refrigerated sprinter vans every single day deliver the goods to the modular units and that's like the tesla charging station right for the vehicles and we so um and then tesla has a factory building the cars we have a factory building ours. so it's and and their purpose is a sustainable energy our purpose is seed oil free food so a lot of parallels but it's being the creative most creative in your in your category we're talking about making our units all electric as well.
0: What are the? That's really cool. What are the points of potential failure?
1: <sighs> me dying. Honestly, um, I don't think in those terms. People ask me what keeps you up at night, um, and I'm not trying to be like braggadocious or arrogant or naive because there's an insane amount of problems that we have to figure out on a day-to-day basis. It's a very hard business. The restaurant industry has, like, the highest rate of failure, and we operate on razor-thin margins, right? So, we're entering the toughest category. It's very, very hard. Everybody knows this, right? Like, the restaurant industry is very hard. Running one restaurant is really hard. Imagine running 50,000 restaurants, right? Chipotle, they, they've done an excellent job. Um, they've gone up and down, but you know 57 billion market cap 3,500 plus locations all owned and operated by themselves um but running one restaurant's hard running 50,000 restaurants is really really hard which is you know the game plan for us um points of failure it's not so much so people say what's in front of you what's the thing you can't get over it's not one thing there's no wall in front of me that i can't overcome um it's more about the 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 micro issues on a day-to-day basis the uh, chef forgot to put this in the bag uh the technology on the kiosk went down we have to re you know redo that there's an electrical issue at the truck a fryer went out um customer needs an issued refund we're trying to build better units from the modulars like uh, from the factory and it's it's like thousands of micro issues but it compounds right so if you're not on top of those micro issues then um that's the point of failure but there's no single point of failure because it's a business that spans across all major categories: manufacturing, supply chain, logistics, food, brand, design, technology, yeah, all different software. So, um, yeah, thousands of little issues that can become a very big single point of failure if you let them. That makes sense.
0: Uh, I spoke to David Perrell recently, yes. and he's great, he's a great friend and
1: amazing person.
0: Yeah, and he said the same thing about you, and he said you were one of the people that he knew, one of the few people he's known that will actually say what's on their mind with absolute conviction and truth. And I just thought that was such a high compliment from somebody I respect and admire so much. He mentioned a couple of other people as well, John Feo and Tucker Max, as people like that. People who will just say what is on their mind and will not regard what you say as they won't hamper down their message. Why have you been that way?
1: Goes back to how I was raised. My father's the same way. Um, Absolutely the same way. So part of it's instinctive. But I think um, I've been through a lot. I think it's been an interesting and very tough journey in many parts. And I think that my perspective on life has completely shifted from what I've been through, which I'll talk about. Um, But, you know, life is short. We have one life. And I'm a leader, right? So am I going to go through life not saying the things I want to say despite consequences? Um, I'm a man of faith. So if you know certain things align with my values, then I'm not trying to force anything on anyone or convert anybody or whatever. But I am trying to speak what I believe as the truth um, with full conviction unapologetically. And um, I can't go through life not speaking the truth. And, um, life is short. And where I come from is like, if you see, you know, the, the Ziki logo, right, this is where my life perspective shifted. So the logo of Ziki is the tongue. This is a very personal story, but basically, um, 10 months about like, I don't know, 10 months ago, maybe I designed the logo of Ziki to be the tongue. Why the tongue? I'm like, well, it's fun. It's vibrant. It's edgy. It fits with the brand. That's how we are. Um, it can also symbolize food because you open your mouth to eat food. And I, I just, it just feels good. Let's make it something totally different than everybody else. Ten months ago. A few months ago, um, I'm on a FaceTime call at the time with my girlfriend. And I am talking with her and she's a dental hygienist. And their job is to be in the mouth and inspect teeth and in the mouth and clean the mouth and they look for all types of things. So we're on FaceTime and basically I say, hey, Eb, yeah, we're about to get off the call. I'm in Miami. Like, I'm like, by the way, like I've had this weird feeling in my tongue and I don't know what it is, but probably like a canker sore. And she's like, how long? I'm like, I don't know, like close to a year. She freaks out. She's like, how can you not have done anything about this? You didn't book an appointment. Are you kidding me? Blah, blah, blah. We're booking you an appointment. Goes, you know, goes crazy and and books appointments with all the doctors, whatever. So I go to the doctor. Uh, they look at it. They do an excision. So they cut off a small piece of it and they send it. It's like a small bump and they send that piece uh, to a lab. I'm thinking nothing of it, whatever. They come back. They're like, yeah, it's tongue cancer you have cancer in your mouth and uh we're gonna have to cut it out and you're gonna have to undergo like a serious surgery and they're like we don't know yet if it has spread to your lungs chest heads you're gonna have to undergo chemotherapy and it's gonna completely take over you and we don't know and I'm like what so imagine being 26 I'm 26 at the time I'm like out of nowhere totally out of the blue right um but how fascinating that before I got diagnosed And by the way, if you fast forward, like I went through a lot, a lot of scans, a lot of different things, whatever, beat the cancer and didn't miss a beat on the business, scaled faster than on schedule, hired everyone we needed to, made an acquisition, didn't miss a beat. So it's like, didn't, didn't deter me or throw me, not at all. Actually, we did more than when, when GigaFund said, what are you going to do with this money and how long is it going to take? We did it in half the time, despite having that. So successful surgery, beat cancer, like amazing. I'm here. I prayed like crazy during that time. Like I was on my hands and knees praying all the time. And I knew that God was going to heal me. I knew it. I knew it. Never once. I told my team, I said, if anybody brings weak energy to me and, and is pitting me, blah, 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 you're fired. I said, if you want me to die, give me weak energy. I said, support me, pray for me, give me Uplifting energy, but if you want me to die, then then give me weak energy. I said I need prayers, I need strength, whatever. And I knew I was praying, 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 going crazy. But you can't script that in a movie. That ten months prior to getting cancer, I'm seeing this tongue logo on every cup that we sell, on every bowl, on every sticker, on every hat, on every piece of merchandise, every day, thousands of times, and it's there ten months before. And then the doctor tells me, "Where do you have cancer? You have cancer on your tongue." And I'm not going to believe in God. And I'm not going to believe that everything happens for a reason. Of course. So um, it's a wild story. But that changed my perspective on life. That changed my perspective on death. Um, and basically it got me closer to my faith, number one. And number two was that it makes you realize that life is really short. Because when you're 26, you never, you always hear about it. You always hear about this. You always hear about that. it happens to you, you're like, could this really be spreading through my whole body right now and I'm going to be dead in six months? And what am I going to do? Go through life wishing I had said that, wishing I had expressed that, wishing I had felt that because society says you can't say that or you shouldn't talk about that. But I'm not living for you, society. I'm not living for you. So like, I don't care what you find and you deem to be acceptable because what you find acceptable today, you didn't find acceptable 100 years ago. And and in 100 years from now, you're going to find I'm living for God and I'm living for the day to day fulfillment of what I'm doing in my life. And I'm here to inspire people. I'm not here to be liked by people. I care to be good more than I care to be nice. I'm nice naturally because it's in my personality. I'm a warm person. I'm an affectionate person. I give a lot of compliments. Like what I'm, one of the biggest things that I do is constantly compliment people. But they come from a real place. You know, you can't compliment people just to whatever. Um, so you have to say what's on your mind. You can, you must be unapologetically, um, unwavering in your convictions and believe what you believe. Because what if we die tomorrow? What if, like, what if you were told tomorrow's your last day? Right now, in this moment, you were told tomorrow's your last day alive. Well, wouldn't you be thinking about all this? So, yeah, no regrets. No regrets. But the big thing is it's not for society. You can't live for society. You you can't. Okay? So, like, yeah.
0: I say this all the time, how you should act and think about how, what well, how would your actions change if you knew you were going to die six months from now? And the fact that you still kept building your machine and building Zeki, and creating what you were creating before lets me know this man was really, this man is really dedicated to his cause. He will die trying to make this a success because it is part of him in some sense. Absolutely. And you could have turned back. You easily could have said, you know what? I'm going to die soon. So I'm just going to spend time with my girlfriend. And nobody would have, even if the doctor said it's not cancer, that's a sign that you need to reevaluate. People have talked about that on this podcast many times about how a cancer scare or something, uh, a car accident made them either reaffirm or go down a completely different path. And you figured out real quick, I'm sure, how long did it take for you to be like, I'm going to keep doing this?
1: the day so uh, basically I, I pulled up to the clinic and I accidentally showed up that day because I thought my appointment was that day and I got my results earlier when I when they did the excision they sent it to the lab I went there by accident I was supposed to go like a week later and I showed up but they had my results already and I walked in there like it was the front reception lady and she's like sweetie like I don't I you don't have an appointment today and I'm like Really? And she's. I was like, oh, blah blah. And I was like, so, tell me, like, did you get the results? And like, she just like looked at me and I was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, how were they? And she's like, it's malignant. Like, you're very young. This is extremely rare. We don't even understand where it came from, how it came here. Like, it never happens in people your age. You're not even like a chronic smoker or like tobacco user relative to how many people that have had been doing it for twenty years, whatever. And I'm like, okay, so what does this mean? Because she's like, well, it's a form of cancer on your tongue. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, but I've looked up online images of like whatever. And I've seen people that have had their entire tongues removed and half their jaw removed. So is that going to happen to me? And she's like, I don't know, sweetie. Like it's, it's aggressive. And, you know, my grandmother had something similar and they really had to remove a lot. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, I looked at it. I was like, well, everything's going to be fine. And I trust in God, and it's going to be okay. I was like, it's all good. Everything happens for a reason. I was like, I even pulled up here to get these results earlier than expected for a reason, because now I'm ahead of it. I'm one week earlier ahead of knowing whatever. Um, And she was like, couldn't understand that I was like so calm about it. So I went home. Uh, I think when I sat on my bed, I was just sat on my bedside. That's when I was like, everything was spinning, and I was like, like thinking about everything. I was like, I just can't believe that I've been told this. Um, and, but I, I put on like, I put on music that was inspiring me. And uh, what'd you play? I played God Breathed by Kanye West uh, because there's some lines in there where he's like, trust man, he will fail you. Trust God, he will heal you. Um, And that just that song in particular is really awesome when you're going through a tough time because like uh, it, there's also other lines where he's like I don't care about the lawyer I don't care about the lawyer fees God will solve it all for me and uh, it's just like whenever you're you're struggling in, in a business moment or a financial moment or even a health moment that song kind of addresses all of it and it's very like intense and like let's go like because that was the approach I took I was like let's go like okay I, you know I'm diagnosed with this like let's go through it. I was excited and I remember uh, nights in the office at midnight blasting the speaker playing. um, Also, I was playing uh, No Child Left Behind because it's saying he's done miracles on me. And I was just like in my office, like feeling and like, you know, really connected with God and feeling everything flowing through me. And I was praying and I was screaming like, let's fucking go, like rallying around it really intense and I did that in the war mode too. So the nights that um, I have a war mode playlist, it's incredible. But the night where I hung up the thing in, in my room, like for seven months, that war mode period lasted until we raised the, mon- the money from Gigafund. Every night until like from like midnight to two in the morning, usually I would blast full volume on my speakers, ancient tribal war music and just like beat my chest and like just get in the zone and was so spiritually tapped in. Um in that warrior mind state and i did the same thing with with the cancer but it was it was very much like a connection with god and
0: um yeah i was
1: like just like head on
0: you know went after it was there any reevaluation of anything in your life at that time as far as like i wish i had blank i'm going to change direction for this or that did anything change once you got the diagnosis? I just
1: became more connected with my faith and I understood it on a deeper level. And I felt that it made me stronger in my faith. And I said, um, I believe myself to be a good man, but I need to be a better man. And um, who knows, right? Like, why did I get it on my tongue? And why did God put this on the hat and every single napkin and logo 10 months before? He was putting it in front of me for months before, basically saying, just subconsciously foreshadowing, right? It's like a foreshadowing. It's like the Old Testament. Like this is going to happen in your life, but well, I was there the whole time. I was there the whole time, and I didn't know it. um But he knew it, and and was there the entire time. And who knows why that happened? Could it have been that I have said bad things with the tongue? Could it have been a consequence? Could it have been a punishment? Could maybe people have said, said that to my family, and they said like, "Don't think like that." But who knows? So I said, you know, um, I've done a lot of good in my life. Like, I don't go out and boast about it and talk about it, but it's like I feed an insane amount of homeless people. You'd be amazed. Like, I never will reject anybody' food. I do, you know, I, I treat people good. I live a, a morally sound life, but it's like you can always get better and better and improve. So I felt that my relationship with, uh, I wanted to make everything better. My relationship with myself, most importantly, um, my health and, you know, sleeping schedules and eating habits and everything like that. Cause it was a very stressful period. It was like, I gained a lot of weight from the diagnosis until the end of the diagnosis. And now I'm coming back from that, like shedding it all off, but it was very tough. Um, so you, you rethink everything, mainly your health, uh, your faith, your family, all relationships, basically, because people are the most right that's like the most significant thing is the people and business I was like man it it just I love it so much that I was like I know I'm not gonna die but um I can't I can't die because I I have to be doing this like I was like god you can't do this to me now like just wait we're just getting started you know so uh yeah yeah it was an amazing experience honestly I'm thankful for it um so
0: what advice would you have for people who get diagnosed with cancer or people who unexpectedly find themselves in a situation that they could never have imagined?
1: So one quick thing that I want to say about it too, is it also on the business level reaffirmed a lot of my beliefs around the seed oils and that what if, what if it was cancerous from also what's been in our food system, right? You have to eat multiple times a day. So it it was like, we have illness today that did not exist in the past. Why were American families drinking raw milk, grass-fed butters, and eggs every day, and a lot of red meat, and never had obesity? Why do we have obesity now? Right? Uh, you you go to a like a grocery store. You have a carton of pasture-raised, regenerative eggs, and then you have a liquid container that says "Just Egg." That's the company name, public company, I believe. Just Egg but you flip the bottle and there's like 17 ingredients. But how about just an egg?
0: <laughs>
1: right. That's really just an egg. So video King Papa will show the difference
0: right now <laughs> right.
1: between the two. We need that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I reaffirmed my, my belief in the toxicity of the food system, uh, and how it's cancerous and creates a lot of illness because maybe that was the case for me and many other people, uh, which I believe not necessarily for me, but for many people, I know for sure. Um, as far as my advice to other people, you know, look, uh, any way, any age you get diagnosed with anything crazy like that, it's going to rock your world. You're going to rethink everything. Um, I always have to give my advice and uh, from, from a place of faith because if I didn't have that, then I would just approach it from the secular, normal, societal approach of like, well, you know, I'm going to have to go and find the best doctors and blah, blah, blah. That was like, that is all going to work itself out. But like I have to believe that I'm going to be healed and saved and miracles going to work through me and every cell of my body is going to be touched by that and it's going to be healed. And that's what happened. It is. I I think you want to kill. You really want to expedite the process of you dying. Then you have to believe that you're going to die. You want to die faster. Okay, then just believe you're going to die. Refuse to believe and accept that you're going to die because you know you're going to be healed. Your mindset will heal you. Your, your, your mentality is going to you and the people around you. That's why I told my team that. I was like, do not bring me that. Pray on me. So um, I would say like anything that happens, like see, see I didn't say like, why me? Why? I'm 26 and I'm running this company. I was like, no way. The tongue. This is going to be a great part of the story. Other people are going to learn about this too and I'm going to speak out about it a lot and it's going to bring me closer to my faith. Everything with a irrational level of optimism.
0: I always, I think a good tell for people I associate with or people I want to be around is how do you envision yourself dying?
1: Have I thought about it? Yeah. I mean, of course I've played, um, you know, and here's the interesting thing is if you ask me, I, I told you that's my perspective on living, right? Like I think about, uh, wow, life is short, blah, blah, blah. I feel that I'm not afraid to die. I just feel like it was so close there's a real possibility, not an idea. It's always an idea before you get confronted with... It's it's always a... Wow, that would be crazy. It's always... You know so... It's always somebody telling you... You know so-and-so? Yeah? They just got cancer. Oh my God, that's terrible. It's so different from when it's you. It doesn't feel real possibility. You know that's sad. It hurts you. It kills you. It's terrible. But like... It was really close. In, in the grand scheme of things. Because it could have been that. Um, so I was just like, in a way, prepared also like i didn't believe i was going to die but i was like but if that's god's timing and his will that i'm supposed to go now then i can't stop that i can't interfere with that either like if, if my time was meant to go now so i'm i'm not afraid of dying um and i'm not trying to say that in like a oh, sound cool i'm not afraid like i i'm afraid of uh i wouldn't want to die a painful or like awful death but just the idea of passing on is but, but i believe in an afterlife so
0: of course the thing is it's like the people who aren't afraid of dying are also living usually to the fullest. And if they're okay with going at any moment, it usually means they're fulfilling what they're here to do. The opposite yes. is like, I'm so scared to die because you know in your heart, you're putting off something that you know you should be doing in your heart.
1: Exactly. That's a that's an amazing point. It's like, when, when you really don't have that fear of dying, you're living Every single So there's uh, the quote that uh, I think Naval said, right? Where like a man uh, has two lives. His his first, second first when he's and his first one is born and second begins when he realizes he only has one, right?
0: Yeah. I mm-hmm. I believe it's from Confucius. But Confu- when you're Naval, <laughs> <laughs> I love that Naval and Confucius are getting... They're basically the same. <laughs> I mean, Naval is our modern day Confucius. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. But yeah, it, it's a great quote and it speaks to the idea that you... You really have to understand, like we, a lot of us go around and act as if we're never going to die. Right. And it, and it can't be us. And we put off the things we know we should do because they will just go forever. Absolutely.
1: Uh, yeah. And also it, it does like, it puts, it makes things feel way more real and uh, it just influences your actions too. Like, I mean- um, even like to the example with the homeless people, like one common thing that you always hear is people being like, don't pay them, don't give them money. Like they're going to use it for drugs. How do you know? How do you know? And also is that between, is that for me to judge? And is that between, that's between them and God. So for me, it's like, I want to help a person just because I feel the need to help them. So, um, you know, even in my lowest times, especially financially, the struggle during that warm mode period, I remember I had no money. Like I'm, I'm talking like negative money. And uh, even for me personally and for the business. And I was like, had like my last $20 bill, and like a homeless guy came up to, at the red light and I gave it to him. And I was like, you know, given you will receive, especially it's easy to give when you have everything, you know? So that comes back to that suffering component too. We have to suffer, we have to go through those moments. Like that's, it's critical. Yeah.
0: One of the, the core values I wanted to talk to you about mm-hmm. was having a heavy hand. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that, that's something I noticed when I get these bowls is like, oh my God, there's so much in here. And it makes me so excited because I used to go to Chipotle and then I'd ask for double and then it would be like half a, a single portion, but it's, I'm paying for double. And as somebody who tries to get their protein intake to a certain level every day, it's like, this is amazing. Like You're actually giving me a lot of food. And it feels so heartwarming because I'm like, And when I heard you explain the importance of a heavy hand, I was like, damn, how have I never thought of that? For sure. I mean, well,
1: at Ziki, like that's uh, one of our values as well. We are generous and that's a uh, value that not only is for how we are amongst each other in the office culture, but for our chefs. So I train them, have a heavy hand, right? Like give customers a substantial portion of food to where most of our customers treat it as two meals. Like most people don't finish our Zerito in one sitting. Most don't. Uh, And most save the bowl and eat the rest later. You call me a savage? Yeah, you're a savage. Of course. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, come on. There's no way around that. So, you know, it's it's really important. Food is a heartwarming endeavor. Feeding people feels amazing. It brings people together. When people sit around a table, it's a heartwarming thing. They eat. They share a meal together. I want to do that for millions of people and billions of people and, you know, touch the hearts of people. And that comes from a place of generosity. So, you know, it's not a great feeling when you overpay for something and then you eat something, and you're still hungry and you're unsatisfied. That's like the worst food is. That's probably the Greek in me that like we love to feed people uh, and we love to give like very, very excessively generous portions, to be honest, Um, but not from the standpoint of also like just giving out like an insane amount of food because we have obviously cost controls too, right? Like food it can't <laughs> get crazy, but but it's definitely far more uh, generous than uh, all of the other people in the fast casual space that you could think of.
0: Well, it, it points to you giving the $20 bill when you're down to your final dollars. It's like, it's very similar and related. Another piece that I want to talk to you about yep. was the music. The music has played a big role. I know you closed the big deal with Gigafun and you played Led Zeppelin. You're talking about music and how it's inspiring you. What role is music? But I know I coded Zeki in, in person. I'm like blast. They're blasting amazing music. So
1: yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, from the moment I wake up, I connect to my sound bar and I'm playing music. Getting ready, music. You ask my guys in the office. Every minute of the day, I'm playing music, and usually I'm playing it really loud. Um, and <laughs> we have our head of real estate, and he sits right outside my office, which is is called the War Room. And it's like, of course, it, you know, it's like, that's where I work all the time, right? And he sits right outside of it. And sometimes I'll be blasting, like, me to, we have a Sing speaker, and these are really powerful, intense speakers. It's like the, the same team that built the AirPods or designed it on product designed this, so it's really loud. And he's, like, on the phone right outside. We have these glass sliding doors so I could see him. And he's like, yeah, like... We're Zeke and we're, we know, blah, blah, blah. We have 10 locations and we're, and he's screaming over it while the music, and it's just like hilarious. He's just really been conditioned to like close deals while there's an extreme amount of noise behind him. Um, and that's just the culture of the office. It's super upbeat and loud. But you talk about how music's always playing outside of Zeke. That's, um, You know, I made every, added every single song on that playlist. I really wanted to create something that makes people. It's about the experience. So I always say, activate all of the customer senses. Like the first thing is that their eyesight should be activated. They see this big, beautiful, bright pink. modular restaurant that's calling them and they're attracted to it so so it already boosted their mood just because visually it's very pleasing so eyesight first then they walk closer to it and they smell the food wow that smells amazing like I'm getting hungry right so like their dopamine's rising and now they're getting hungry and the the pink color has boosted their mood as well and then they're like oh this song is amazing. So now they're hungry. They're vibing. They're happy. They're excited, and they're vibing out. They're pulling out Shazam. They want to know all the songs. Is this play- playlist public? It's not. So, so you want to hear those good vibes? You got to come back to Zeki. So, so they're in the mood. Like blah, blah blah. And then the final activated sense is taste. So they have to, and it's like start to finish an incredible all-around experience. And, um, you know, I went to one of the locations the other day, and the music wasn't playing. And I sent this huge message to the chefs, and I explained what I just explained to you on why it's so important to have those. We have uh, Uber Eats or DoorDash delivery drivers walk to the Ziki. They're not customers, right? But now, and I always see the drivers dancing as they're walking up to get the food vibing out. Now we see all those drivers, customers they're all customers. to eat the food. They're not even off the work shift. Makes sense. So good vibes at Ziki.
0: I've never heard a restaurant talk about the importance of music. And I just think it's so important to note that you're really thinking about the complete picture. And that is from being in the business for seven years, studying food trucks like it's your job, seeing where the things that they're doing wrong, the things that they're doing right, and what you have today is somebody who's able to articulate a vision so clearly And have such a clear understanding of where they want to take their product that it is exciting to be a customer of it because of how much work you've done. So thank you so much.
1: I appreciate that. And that really goes back to rethinking the restaurant ground up, rethinking, flipping it upside down on its head. It's like those little details. David Peril actually told me uh, product is subtlety compounded. Mm. Right. And I loved it. Second, he told me that I was like, dude, I got to write that down. And that's what it is. It's just subtleties compounded, little iterations here and there, which eventually create the master product.
0: Because people will notice slight, oh, wow, that's an amazing thing. And then they'll see another amazing thing that you do. Oh, wow. Like for David Prell, it's an incredible experience that he gives people for rite of passage. And he has insane levels of attention to detail in his design. And Ziki restaurants are so clearly pink and you could see them from a mile away, Right. right? It's so like, and just- they're so clean and the branding so clean. Everything about it is like, I want to be a part of that. So dude, thank you so much for spending the time here with me today. I like to end these podcasts with a challenge for people. I asked the guest for a challenge to point somebody. You listen to us for an hour or more. And then what do you do with the episode? So does a challenge come to mind from everything we've discussed or something we haven't to leave someone in the audience? with something they can actually do in their day-to-day?
1: I'm challenging an audience member. Um, It's going to be high level in general because there are many of you. Um, But that thing that you're thinking about saying, say it all the time and don't apologize. And that thing that you're thinking about starting, do it and just be bold and have a shit ton of conviction um, and be authentically you because nobody can imitate you better than you can be yourself. So always have an insane level of authenticity in every single thing that you do. And by the way, by you being authentically you, the people that are going to exit your life were meant to exit your life and you're going to open up many doors of people that are supposed to be there. You're going to feel that you're progressing a lot faster. So my big thing is like about risk, conviction, boldness, um, and faith. And so, you know, God bless.
0: Nick, thank you so much for telling your story, for being so open, for being so vulnerable, for being so you, and for sharing your vision. Thank you for coming here. Where should we send people to connect with you further?
1: Uh, Go to ziki.kitchens that's our website uh follow us on instagram but check out any one of our 10 locations throughout austin miami snacks we're going to be taking all the cities throughout the country soon uh, but try our food out it's incredible you're going to love it and uh thank you danny you're amazing appreciate it
0: appreciate you